0: I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim dunigan Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Austin and Jim. With the election just passing, and there's been a lot of talk about Putin and Trump and their relationship or the non-relationship or, or whatever, the bromance that's going on between them. thought it would be good to talk a little bit about Putin today. Jim, who is he? Where did he come from? How has he amassed so much power? Uh,
1: well, Putin was the guy, who, uh, the former KGB guy. Uh, he had been a, a career KGB officer when the Cold War ended. I spoke German. He had been posted in Germany. And, uh, after the coup failed, which, uh, interestingly enough, the KGB sort of stood back from in 1991 when the, uh, you know, the Soviets were, Soviet Union still existed, but it was coming apart at the seams because they were out of money, out of ideas, and it was still a communist dictatorship. Gorbachev, then the president, was trying to hold it together. Uh, and, uh, Yeltsin, you know, was a, uh, a, how should I put it, a elected politician as it were. And the, the, uh, the communist party said, you know, this is ridiculous. This is not what we're all about. And they tried this launch a coup and nobody responded. I mean, there was some shooting and what have you. Uh, but the, uh, the whole thing failed and in, in the wake of that, the Soviet Union fell apart. And the Communist Party, which is still there, you know, but it was, it was totally discredited. Uh, but the, the Yeltsin and the other, you know, Soviet Democrats, as it were, uh, were unable to run the country. Uh, one of the legacies of communism and all communist countries, as China is discovering, is massive corruption and cheating and stealing. I mean, you can say that about any country, but, you know, some are worse than others. And Transparency International, which has been for decades, you know, running these international surveys of corruption in various countries. The United States is sliding down the uh, the list probably, but that's another story. Um, And the the communist countries, the remaining ones, they're still at the bottom of that list because they do not have rule of law. Um, And uh, the Soviet Union was unique. Well, probably not unique, but they practice what they preach and the KGB basically was a law unto itself. It was the, what we call the secret police, that it was basically a combination of the FBI, the CIA and, and the Coast Guard. I mean, you name it. They had their own private army. They were basically the shield of the communist party. And in the Soviet Union, if you were a smart guy and you didn't want to get into hard science and be stuck in some you know, comfortable life in a research institute out in the Urals, uh, in, in what they call a, a forbidden city—a city that was unofficially, officially didn't exist—you um, basically went into the uh, the, the KGB. And uh, for example, uh, the only person who could arrest a KGB officer was another KGB officer. In other words, you were above the law. You were the law, in effect. But. When the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, a lot of the KGB people, you know, said, screw this. They were, they were basically disappointed too, because for, for, throughout the 80s, after Brezhnev died, there was a succession of, of, uh, leaders who were basically the heads of the KGB. Because the communists looked around, and they realized the only guys who had any heads on their shoulders, as it were, uh, were these KGB guys, but they kept dying off. I mean, basically, they were old, they were worn out. Um and so throughout the nineties the KGB, uh Sulovicki, the strong men, as it were, strong mentally as well as otherwise, uh they basically sat around, you know, watched what was happening and realized that, you know, maybe we can fix this. Now there was no, you know, nefarious plot, but you know, they were just doing what they were trained to do. And uh when the, the elected government got into trouble Yeltsin in particular, uh, he, he found that guys that he could rely on were KG, KGB officers. Now, a lot of them went into business where they did very well because they had contacts, they were ruthless, they were smart. You know, a, a very volatile combination that made you rich in post-Soviet Russia, as it did during Soviet Russia. Um, Putin basically decided to try politics. Now, he was a very charismatic guy. Which not all KGB officers were. That wasn't one thing they selected for. It's mainly skill and loyalty. Um, and uh, he bit by bit got himself elected president. The constitution did not allow you to run for more than two terms at a time, but you could be prime minister, which is basically you know the chief uh, uh, operating officer for the Soviet Union. So he's basically ping pong. He he went out for it. He picked his own successor, the guy he approved of. Medviev, uh, who got elected president, and then after his that uh, term was over, Putin ran again, won again, and bingo. Now, what Putin wanted to do was make Russia strong again. Uh partly this was because you know he was a Russian nationalist. Obviously he was a bit of a patriot as well as an opportunist. The two aren't, you know, uh you know, mutually exclusive. And um he uh basically realized that what would win in Russia is stability economically and otherwise. So he cleaned up a lot of the street crime, he cracked down on a lot of the gangs. Now the KGB had an easier time doing this because during the Cold War, when the Soviet Union still existed, they basically had alliances with criminal gangs, which existed, which were illegal. Um, it was sort of like the Yakuza in Japan. They were the, the legally recognized gangsters, and they had to play by certain rules. Plus, they had to do certain dirty work for the, uh, for the, the government when called upon. This is not an unusual situation. Uh, most dictatorships have something like this going. Uh, but anyway, Putin knew who were the bad guys and how they could be reached and who should just be shot, uh, or, or have an accident everywhere. Uh, and he realized, because they were doing a lot of opinion polls, they, in fact, these, the KGB had been in, in charge of measuring public opinion. Now these were classified during the uh, Soviet period. But after the uh, uh, Soviet Union collapsed, <laughs> a lot of KGB officers realized they could make money by selling documents, you know, to the CIA and, and all, and, and other Western agencies. Uh, and a lot of this stuff got out. And we realized that the, 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 uh, the, the Soviet government, you know, through the last two decades, they had regular polls uh, telling them exactly how the people felt, and the people didn't feel good. They were feeling worse and worse and worse. Uh, and Putin realized that uh, he re- if he ran more polls and found out what was bothering people, uh, and then basically give them what they wanted or what they thought they wanted, uh, he could basically, uh, you know, bring back a uh, authoritarian government. Uh, and Russian, a lot of Russians will tell you, and this includes educated Russians, even Democrats. Um, and there are Democrats still in Russia, they will say, you know, that's just the way it is in Russia. Every democracy is different. They turn it right back in your face, which is true. Every democracy is different. British democracy isn't the same as American or Canadian or Australian. You see where I'm going here. Even in the United States, we've got 50 states, which are still fairly, you know, uh, federal, as we're independent, and each of them is, is a little different. Some are more corrupt than others. Some are more efficient than others. Um, but the uh, Putin realized that Uh, this was a very popular way to go. And that's how he went. His problem was his, uh, he basically couldn't clear up all the corruption. The corruption was so endemic. I mean, it was there before the Soviet Union collapsed. And, uh, he basically, you know, had to do something spectacular because people were still angry about the corruption. He kept saying, I'm going to eliminate the corruption, uh, what really killed them with the corruption was it was scaring away foreign investment. Now, Russia was still not a vibrant economy, as it were. It was dependent upon, uh, you know, uh, raw materials exports, mainly oil and gas. Uh, and, and, you know, again, educated Russians, and there were more of them, plus there were more Russians after the 90s who understood business. In other words, they weren't, you couldn't easily BS them with all this, you know, hey, you know, it, it, uh, uh, a little socialism goes a long way, et cetera. Et cetera. No, no, no. You, you can't have socialism until you have money to get from somewhere to, to redistribute. Uh, and Russia just wasn't getting that money. Uh, so, you know, Putin was basically caught in a dilemma, and this is what he's been basically wrestling with. And what he's done is, in his, in his desperation to basically stay in power, is he's revived the Cold War. Uh, now, this is doubly uh, dangerous for, for Russia, uh, not just because, you know, that NATO, I mean, the official line of Russia, which a lot of Russians accept, is that NATO is plotting to destroy Russia. Well, Russia already destroyed Russia. Nobody else has to do it. You know, basically, you know, uh, and a, a lot of Russians understand this, but they're not running the country, that, you know, Russia's problems are, are, are Russian. Uh, but, you know, Putin realized that this would just get him thrown out of power in the next election. And he has high, very high, re- maintains very high, uh, you know, uh, pa- uh, uh, how should I put it? satisfaction, you know, uh, voter satisfaction uh, numbers in Russia. But they're slipping and they're slipping because more and more people are saying, OK, this is traditional. This is something that we can, uh, you know, uh, we can understand a strong man in control you know, we'll make things all better, uh, but it's not really working as planned. So he basically restarted the Cold War. We're, at the same time, his, and, and he allied with China, which is still a communist dictatorship, um, but, <laughs> but the Chinese got smart, where well, the Russians didn't, and they basically revived the market economy. They still have corruption, which they're cleaning up much more effectively than the Russians are, because, again, it's about the money. The Chinese realize you cannot grow uh, if you don't have an effective efficient economy and you can't have an efficient economy if you know uh, it's it's too corrupt because basically you don't get efficient businesses, you can't compete on world markets uh, and just one thing goes to that's a whole other story, but you know Putin was aware of that, and he was also aware of the fact that China was now being very aggressive in their you know ancient claims you know that the the, uh, the claims actually they, they aren't ancient. These are going back to Tsar's times where China had claims on most of the Far Eastern Russia. Um, and, uh, the communists when they came in, they had claims on the South China Sea and parts of India. Uh, but they didn't, nothing happened because China concentrated on the money. Of now they feel they have enough money and now they're making claims to the South China Sea, which we're involved in. Uh, Northeast India, which used to be part of Tibet, but that's, you know, Arguable, and that's what the Chinese are arguing about. Um, but also, the one the Chinese haven't brought up is Eastern Russia, with all those natural resources, all that Lebensraum. I mean, that's what the remember that's what the Nazi nation of Russia was all about. We need more real estate, and we especially need real estate without people in it. And that's why the Nazis were going to kill most of the people as <laughs> they advanced east. But the Chinese don't have to kill anybody. They just have to march in and take it. Now the problem Chinese have is the Chinese and the Russians both have nuclear weapons. And of course that's a problem they have to a lesser extent with India, because India also has nuclear weapons. Uh, so the Chinese are basically taking over Central Asia and Eastern Russia with money and entrepreneurs. I mean, those are the new, those are the shot troops <laughs> of the, uh, of the, of the modern, uh, you know, invasion armies. Uh, you know, if you want to take over, simply move in, uh, make the locals dependent upon your investment money and your, you know, your expertise, uh, your less corrupt, you know, ways of doing business. And when you say, hey, you know, we're reasserting our claims, you'll find that most of the people in Eastern Russia say, hey, what the hell? Why not? You know, these, these, these idiots in Moscow are not doing uh, much for us. So this is Putin's nightmare, which you can't even talk about openly. I mean, Russians will. <laughs> but, uh, he can't mention it. So he's been pushing this whole business with, uh, uh, with the, uh, with Ukraine and, uh, and, uh, the, uh basically the Baltic states, you know, even parts of Poland, you name it. I mean, they want the old empire back and, and Central Asia. Uh, and China is very cleverly positioning itself to be the protector of the East which means they're going to grab most of Eastern Russia and Central Asia. They don't really want to run Central Asia. Nobody in the right mind wants to run Central Asia. Uh, but if you control its economies, you get all the benefits and none of the headaches, a lot, lot fewer of the headaches. So Putin has basically backed himself into a nasty corner, and he can't get out. So that makes him dangerous because he's desperate. And he's threatened to use nuclear weapons. Now he's made friends with Iran, which is somebody else that he's had... Uh, real, Russia has had real estate disputes with before. Russia and uh, and Iran are not natural allies. They've never been allies. They've always been enemies. So you see where this is going. Same with Turkey. They're making nice with Turkey. Now, the Turks are, for their own reasons, which Austin has covered extensively, are trying, you know, Islamic, uh, you know, uh, rule, as it were, again, to deal with the corruption. It always comes back to the, you know, the business, the money, and the money is basically founded on being able to deal with corruption, having rule of law so your businesses can flourish. In other words, as as, as some wise have put it, you know, you can't have socialism until you have somebody else's money to spend, uh, and gotta get that money from somewhere. And the Chinese are basically, they feel they perfected the system. You let the entrepreneurs get rich, you know, run crazy, uh, and if we can control that and control the corruption, you know, Russia, you know, the empire will live on in China as a communist empire as opposed to, you know, whatever. Another big, another dynasty as far as a lot of Chinese are concerned. But Russia is, is in much worse shape and they, and they don't dare admit it. Uh, it's the old, you know, having a tiger by the tail. They can't afford to let go of just the tiger or the dragon in this case, Russia will eat him alive well the Russians will eat him alive so this is the situation strongman Putin he's not as strong as he looks and uh, and when, once more people find out about that and realize you know he's taking them down a uh, you know a dead end street uh, it's all over him but since he has his finger on the nukes you know it's a dangerous situation
0: austin how do you view Putin?
2: I, that, oh, that was hey Jim, that was that was a great out, outline of the guy. Let me let me go in and fill in a couple of things. I uh, <clears throat> did something I u- don't usually do, Dan. I opened up a, a a file and 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 made a couple of notes as Jim was talking. Let me pick up on all right, KGB background. Yeah, he was head of KGB operations in Dresden, which effectively since he was a a KGB colonel, and that's a heck of a lot of not just uh, <clears throat> uh, intelligence gathering uh and covert operation power it's a it, it's a position that has a lot of political power or did within the soviet union um, and you're working you 're working your way uh, uh up but uh, you're politically you 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 have political influence as well if the position he had and I've, I've, I've been told this I mean I've read it but I've been told it by five or six uh, you know former cold warriors on this and, and Dresden was one of the premier jobs uh, that you could get and you'll see this on the web. I think there's enough evidence to convince me that it's accurate. He had at least a finger in some of the uh, dissident and radical. Uh, Groups uh, operating in the West, uh, in uh, in West Germany, in France, uh, in Italy. I'm not speaking about you know at a conspiratorial level direct direct ties to the red Red brigades or uh, red uh, army faction or the uh, Action Direct in uh, in France. Usually the way the KGB structured. Uh, their uh, operations or contacts with with those groups was through one of the uh, Warsaw Pact uh, intelligence agencies. But that's a a tough school, tough way to learn. And he was not just learning, even though he was comparatively young. He had a great deal of power. Now, let me translate that into the Putin that uh, we see today. The man is very skilled in propaganda. Extremely skilled, though. Covert operations, blackmail. He understands diplomatic pressure, how to apply it, how to release it. He understands opportunities, even though they, uh, and how to create an opportunity. The situation in Syria is an example of it. We can talk about that, Eh, we probably ought to talk about that uh, some other time when we come back to Syria. But now he's in a quasi-alliance with the United States, but uh, at, a, at a superficial level, at least at a level that the media, generally mainstream media, uh, uh, addresses the situation, while really what he's doing is backing up Russia's client, former Soviet client, uh, Syria. Uh, all right. He has coordinated policies, military, diplomatic, economic, such as it is, and he's able to handle it both at the tactical level and operationally. Jim laid out the case that Russia is strategically weak, but he makes up for it by, this, by creating or seizing opportunities or cannily combining can uh, propaganda uh, and uh, diplomacy and uh, a perception, a perception of strength. Uh, that's uh, so. The guy's very, very good. If it sounds like I'm describing a, a chess player, that's a use, useful analogy. Except this isn't chess. <laughs> it's much more complicated than chess. All right. Jim came in and he said Putin understood that Russia needs stability. Well, the joke is is that Russia always needs stability, which is why they're after Ivan the, uh, the the next Ivan uh, the Terrible or a Stalin. Or a Putin, and Putin may be the most clever of that lot. Actually, uh, Jim also mentioned how the KGB in general was operating with uh, with various contacts and organized criminal gangs, uh, international groups, uh, and, and and the like. Uh, KGB was a gang. I think Jim would agree with that, of a sort. And now it's Definitely part of the ruling uh, oligarch uh, in uh, Putin's uh, r- Russia. So that explains some of the gangster element that you uh, see, uh, uh, you see in, in, in contemporary Russia. Now, let's, Jim talked about Putin reviving the Cold War to uh, remain in power. That's correct. But let me tell you, let's look back and I'm going to use a, a game. Frame to talk about this. His first move, well, his first move was to say that one of the—he you know, would made plenty of moves inside Russia. But one of the first thing he said was, "Is that one of the greatest tragedies of the 20th century was the demise of, of the Soviet Union?" And that was uh, his domestic statement of uh, of, uh, of the loss. Uh, now, his first real move—and I call this test the West. Is Georgia in August of 2008? U.S. President George W. Bush is under heavy domestic uh, attack. It's a uh, election year in the United States, and here's here's Georgia. Now, there, it does have you know there's turkeys right there, but it's small, low level. uh we use the analogy on strategy pages, as, as Jim points out, the Russians. You know, this is a classic tactic for uh, historically, not just Russians and Chinese using it, but they're they're good they're good at it. Low level uh, uh, fighting, but backed up by convincing conventional superiority in the uh, immediate area. That was what was going on in in uh, in in. In Georgia in July and August uh, of uh, 2008, also local actors that you could uh, use as a propaganda uh, propaganda cover, uh with the idea that we're going into to uh, save uh, threatened minorities within within Georgia, and there was just enough kernel of truth in it as there is in any clever clever lie to be able to uh, in, in, incite, incite passions. So the Russians do make a move on jordan But U.S. responds very quickly. I mean, the, the jaw dropper was moving a Georgian uh, infantry brigade that was in Iraq right on back in, uh, into Georgia, flying it back by the Air Force. And the Russians saw that. All right, but that was a test. The next move, though, comes after Obama's elected, and I call it Milk the West. September 17th, 2009, We've still got the essay up on, on Strategy Page that I wrote about this. And it was essentially, it gave the this, this showed that Putin had a sphere of influence. The Obama administration was going to let him play sphere of influence, which Putin just loved because it fits into what Jim says about, you know, uh, the uh, reviving the Pol- Cold War, at least. Uh, reasserting Russia, uh, Russian power, and that is when this carefully negotiated uh, ballistic missile defense deployment that included, I think it was just 10, and now they now call them mid-course interceptors, but then ground-based interceptors is what they uh, were called then, GBIs, in, in Poland, and a a super radar complex in the Czech Republic. Putin didn't tell the Czechs or the Poles he was go- I mean excuse me Obama didn't tell the Czechs or the Poles but he was going to do it and he said it was part of the Russia reset now also part of the Russia reset and there was some economic as well as diplomatic and in this case a defense a, d- a defense chit thrown in there were all kinds of things that were opened up to, uh, Russia being able to invest more easily here in the United States, some of these suspect Russian uh, groups uh, acquire technology. Uh, Jim's already written about some of it. You've, you've seen in, in at least in in some mainstream media discussion of the uh, uranium acquisition buys in, uh, in 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 the West and, and around around the world. There was a a an attempt at okay a, a certain kind of normalization of dealing. With uh, uh, with a uh, Putin led Russia. Then next, after that, after the milking phase, the move into Crimea. That's the they, look. They began reviving at the same time some of their Cold War actions. Because you can go back to, to 2009 and look at this with increasing the number of close flybys of uh, NATO alliance uh, ships uh, in the Balk ba- uh, Baltic uh more long-range uh, bomber uh, patrols out uh, in uh, to the uh, uh, north into the North Atlantic also the same kind of action in uh, in, in in the Pacific and that's uh, we've we've written about this especially starting about uh, 2013 and it's even uh, gotten more intense just you know, I read the, what the Danes and Swedes uh, have to say about uh, some of the games that the the Russians are playing uh, in, in the Baltic. and if you think the Danes and the Swedes at least can do something to protect themselves, uh, the Baltic states are extreme extremely vulnerable. So there's we're moving into the revive the Cold War, and, 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 and you say, Austin, you're just this is you're looking backwards. Hey, I've shown you test the West, milk the West, revive the Cold War. Why is he doing it? Well, as Jim said. <coughs> This helps keep him in power. There is also, I think, a sincere drive to revive the Soviet Union, without that name. That's something that he stated uh, early on. Jim said he's a nationalist as well as an opportunist. So that 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 fits in with the uh, with the read on him as being a a uh, a, a, Rus- a Russian nationalist. But look at the type of uh, what it, how how it's expressed: aggression aggression in Eastern Europe. Jim's analysis of the the threats, Chinese threats to Siberia is is dead on. And the Russians, you see, here's here's the, the bitter joke in Moscow, and there have to be people in the Kremlin that know it. To try to protect Siberia, your best allies are Western Europe and Eastern Europe and a genuine a strong relationship with the United States, but that's not the way they've played it. They've turned NATO and NATO is the is the enemy of the United States. Wants to you know occupy Moscow, which but or to, to keep this KGB oligarchy and the gangs in power. That's the way. That's 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 the political. And conspiratorial and somewhat effective world that Putin's built. Jim, Dave, what do you think of that?
1: No, I agree. And, you know, in fact, I've taken this, I haven't, I haven't actually been able to do a piece on this yet, but I've discussed uh, in my day job, I deal with, you know, economic and political what ifs, you know, in terms of lost modeling markets and what have you. Uh, and one thing that's been tossed around is what if. This was interesting. I, I didn't expect this from my, uh, my quants of all people. Um, what if Russia, there had been no, uh, you know, uh, how should I put it? I think somebody who'd been reading too much 19th century history said, what if Bismarck, he was the Chancellor of, uh, of Germany under the, the Kaiser <coughs> and the guy who basically orchestrated the unification of Germany in, in 1870. Uh, what if this Kaiser, uh, who was uh, seen as as a sort of a headstrong dolt um, had not ignored Bismarck uh, and let the French keep uh, Alsace and Lorraine, you know, after the Franco-Prussian War, because that was humiliating for France, and that was their justification for uh, basically making an ally out of Russia and, and Britain, and basically forming the alliances which were about World War One. Which then brought about, you know, the uh, the collapse of, uh, uh, you know, czarist Russia, uh, and of course the Germans compounded it by arranging to send, you know, Lenin and his, uh, you know, his, his communists back to uh, Russia secretly. I mean, you know, they they just couldn't win for losing. Uh, but anyway, the if there had been uh, no, uh, you know, World War One, or a different kind of World War One. And if russia hadn't uh basically exhausted itself um and uh and and not allowed a democratic government to establish itself, well wouldn't there been would have been no World War two or a very difficult world war II. see because the problem was again this was pointed out to me, which is why I remembered it. I got school uh it's all it is all about economics Russia was the last european country major European country to undergo the, uh, uh, the Industrial Revolution, they were just getting started in the, late 19th, in the late 19th century. Now, you saw what happened in the United States, which had started basically in the early 19th century, uh, basically right out on the heels of Britain. And by 1900, uh, the United States, uh, which many Russians considered themselves equal to in terms of resources and you know, territory and what have you, uh they were the they were the largest economic power in the planet. Now this, this worried the Europeans and said, What is this? These are all the people we 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 uh, chased out. And what have they done? Um, well basically they made a democracy work <laughs> and they uh and they basically let the businesses you know get going. Uh, and Russia was starting to do this. Now Russia had already humiliated itself, you know, in the uh, in the Crimean War. Uh, you know, basically the only people they can reliably uh, defeat were the Turks and couldn't even do that all the time. They were defeated by the Japanese, which was a horrendous, you know, defeat. You know, these Asiatics, you know, defeating Russia uh, in 1905. And that caused a basically a, uh, how should I put it, a, a, a major change in the, in the Russian government. They had to allow in more, uh, how should I put it, more economic liberty, and more uh, democracy. I mean, they had basically they were, they were inching towards a parliamentary, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, constitutional monarchy. Uh, and the czars, you know, the Romanovs were not stupid. Well, some of them were, but you know, by and large, they, they were fairly, you know, uh, insightful. And they realized that they had to change. You know, they basically paid close attention to the British, and they said, hmm, well, if they could do it. Um, and they looked at the United States. And uh that's why when the uh when these when the when the uh the empire as where the, the the czarist government, the monarchy collapsed in nineteen seventeen, they basically established a democracy, the Kerensky government. Uh and that was basically taken over by a coup by the Bolsheviks, which again a lot of people don't speak Russian because Bolshevik means majority. Now the they they accused well this might this might resonate with Americans today, they accused the uh the 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 Democrats have been Mensheviks, the minority, and they basically, you know, with a little firepower and a lot of propaganda, you know, basically uh, triggered a civil war, which they won, um, and and basically established a uh, you know a communist dictatorship, and we know where that looks. And a lot of people say, well, look what happened. Russia, all this tremendous uh, economic, uh, you know, uh, prosperity, you know, growth, not prosperity for the people. Uh, you know, after World War One. Well the problem was if there had been no World War One, there would have been even more growth. I mean, you look at Eastern Europe, uh, they were starting to go through the Industrial Revolution and they were basically, you know, uh moving ahead uh of the uh of, of Russia and, and you know the, the, the communists, you know, Stalin in particular, he could count, uh he realized this and he said, you know, we have basically have to take over Europe. And that's when he was massing for his army. Uh, when the Germans reneged on their treaty and basically invaded first. Uh, but the, 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 the argument was, well, what if there had been, though, you know, uh, you know, uh, corrupt dictatorship, as it were, in Russia? What if they basically cobbled together a, uh, a, a constitutional monarchy, uh, and basically allowed the industrial revolution to proceed as it had in Western Europe and the United States? Where would Russia be? I mean, they lost. About a quarter of their population in the 19th century. That data didn't come out until after the uh, the archives opened in the 1990s, briefly before they were they shut up again. Uh, the Russians knew what the losses were, both to the Germans, both to the Civil War, World War II, uh, and of course what we can't be called genocide, you know, the internal, you know, uh, murders that were uh, of, of the Russian people, and it was basically a quarter of the population. And this is something else Putin is aware of, that the Russian people do not want another major war. And they realize they may not have the army or the world situation to start another, you know, uh, massive war like World War II. But with nuclear weapons, it's all automated. Like not the saying goes, if you want to do something fast, uh, you know, do it with computers. And so you've got the nukes to do that. So this is something else. And I had to go through all that stuff to basically, you know, give you a little insight into Russian psychology. One thing we found out after the Cold War ended, the CIA, there there had been a big argument before this. I was on the side that the Russians are basically terrorized. And, of course, the the official word was in Washington. No, 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 they're 10 feet tall. They're dangerous. I said, no, they're dangerous, but they're basically scared. Crapless, as it were. Um, And they still are because they cannot get the prosperity. They cannot get the true economic growth. You know the income distribution, as it were, uh, that they knew after the by the 1990s when the, when the all the uh, the communist monopoly on mass media was eliminated. They said, why does the West, was the West have all that money? Why are they so wealthy? Why are they so well off? Um, and of course, you know, economists could explain to them in Russian. He says, well, it works like this. And then they look at the Chinese. My God, the Chinese, those backward blah blah. They have a lot of bad terms for Chinese. Uh, how are they doing? Uh, and of course, it's the same. It's the same thing. It basically comes down to the money. And what what limits the you know the growth of e- economic prosperity is the corruption. So this is the trap that Putin has put himself on. He's not just caught between you know uh, desperately trying to hang on to power. But he's also caught between the trap of of more and more Russians realize that, hey, you know, Vladimir, we gotta have the kind of prosperity that the West and even Chinese China has, which means we gotta get rid of all this corruption you said you were gonna do he got rid of enough of it to make an impression. And that's why he got he had his high poll numbers, you know, going into this uh this war against NATO. But you know, the economy is not making a recovery. It's, it's low oil price more than anything else, but that plus the sanctions. I mean, they are a burden. And, uh, and there's enough media and there's enough internet access to Russia and, and among Russians, they know why it's happening. They admire Putin for basically, you know, making the best of the bad situation. They realize that the low oil price, they can justifiably blame that on the Americans uh, with our fracking and all this. It's that damn American technology. Uh, but basically... Their their main uh, obstacle is their own government, and when they if they decide to try and do something about that again, uh, Putin's out, and we might have you know a, a lot more problems with Russia because again they have nukes and you know uh, you know desperate times often generate desperate measures, and we don't want that. Hey,
2: hey Dan, well, I know yep. we got to wind this up, but let me right. This is this is cropped up in at least. Five or six of the strategy talks Jim and I've had over the years, and you can <laughs> you can see stuff and things both of us have posted in strategy page up, updates. But in, in several columns I've written about how we're still dealing with World War One, either dealing with it economically, diplomatically, demographically, or still fighting uh, fighting brush fires now <clears throat> that relate to. The destruction of the Ottoman Empire, Romanov Empire, Habsburg Empire, uh, and, uh, it's largely been settled out in, in Western Europe. It still hadn't really settled out in Africa. It hadn't really settled out, <laughs> excuse me, in, entirely, uh, in, uh, in, in Far East Asia, uh, uh, either, even though that wasn't really a World War I. Theater, but World War II is a second burst as of the uh, of World War One, uh, and it's. It, it, Jim was talking about thinking about a, a book along these lines. I I I outlined one in 2009, and then got sidetracked doing that. Uh, wasn't really sidetracked. That Kamal Ataturk biography I did for uh, for for Macmillan. Uh, it's. The question, and this is a question, maybe we can come back to it, a, you know, dunigan Bay theoretical rap about it. How aware are actors like Putin that that's what's going on? I suspect he's extremely aware. So yes. It's, it's, no. yeah, okay, yeah, I, yes,
1: yeah, I feel like there, there are a lot more Russians on, on Wall Street, and you can sit down, you, they're bi-cultural, bicultural, and they complain about this. You know, this is where I get a lot of this. Yeah, look, we're What if we have been allowed to go through the Industrial yeah. Revolution like everybody else, but now we've yeah. got oh, the yeah. You know, if it's not the communists, hey, it's something else.
2: Dan, we need to hold this for another one because Jim and I got a lot to say about this. Right. Who knows? We've probably gone
1: for two hours on that one.
2: Yeah.
0: But uh, the bottom well,
1: line is, is, a,
0: is, a, is, a, is trying to look like a strong man, but he ain't. <laughs> All right. Nice well, way that, to end it. Nice way to end it. We'll uh, talk to you both later. Bye. Okay. Hey, take care. Have Bye, guys.